This episode of Eat the Rules is brought to you by You on Fire. You on Fire is the online group coaching program that I run that gives you a step-by-step way of building up your self-worth beyond your appearance. With personalized coaching from me, incredible community support, and lifetime access to the program so that you can get free from body shame and live life on your own terms. Get details on what's included and sign up for the next cycle at summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I'd love to have you in that group. This is Eat the Rules, a podcast about body image, self-worth, anti-dieting, and intersectional feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 265, and I'm joined by Chrissy King, author of The Body Liberation Project. We're talking about Chrissy's journey towards body liberation, how she was seeking proximity to whiteness through her weight loss pursuits, the difference between body neutrality and body liberation, and how we can all strive for collective liberation. You can find the links mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 265. I want to give a shout out to Savannah who left this review. Brilliant, incredibly helpful, encouraging podcast. I get so much out of each episode. Thank you for doing this important work. Thank you so much, Savannah. I really, really appreciate that. Savannah from Canada. Heyo. You can leave a review for the show by going to Apple Podcasts, search for Eat the Rules, then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review. If you want a free guide, you can get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. And if you are a professional who works with people who may also have body image struggles, so if you're a coach, a dietitian, a therapist, an educator, a personal trainer, etc., then grab the free body image coaching roadmap at summerinandin.com forward slash roadmap. As always, you can just go to thebodyimagecoach.com to find any of these things. Chrissy was on the show back in 2020, I believe. It was episode 157. I will link to that in the show notes. And it's such a pleasure to have her back on the show again, uh, celebrating her new book, The Body Liberation Project, which I genuinely really loved. And it'll be going up to the top of my list of books that I recommend to people because I just thought it was such a wonderful blend of of personal stories and as well as the important concepts while really speaking to the social justice aspect of this work and giving a lot of questions to help you move from principle to practice. So I definitely recommend this book if you're looking for another one to read. I know there's so many good ones, but I think that you're really going to love having this one on your bookshelf. Chrissy King is a writer, speaker, educator, and former strength coach with a passion for creating a diverse and inclusive wellness industry. She empowers individuals to stop shrinking, start taking up space, and use their energy to create their specific magic in the world. Let's get started with the show. 
Hello, Chrissy. Welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Summer. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you for a little bit today. Yeah, yeah. So tell everybody a little bit about the Body Liberation uh, Project and like what inspired you to, uh, to, to write the book. Yeah, absolutely. So the Body Liberation Project is about understanding diet culture and the intersection of racism and then eventually like how we can all move towards body liberation. It's also through this frame of like collective liberation and just really talking about body image and the intersection of race and gender and how that affects our ability to feel good in our bodies. And what inspired me to write this book is my own personal journey with body image struggles over the years. And then, you know, as I've worked through some of those issues and move towards liberation, I've seen how much it has just like really freed up my mental capacity and just changed so many aspects of my life. And I really just desire for all of us to have true freedom to exist in our bodies, free of harm, but then also just like free of obsessing and, you know, spending all of our mental capacity trying to shrink ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love all the the stories that you mentioned throughout, like, it's sort of a bit like almost part memoir in, in a way. And I found, you know, just like the extremes that you go to, so relatable for my own personal story. Like, it's just like, it's wild, right? One of the things I would love you to talk about is your experience obtaining like the quote, unquote, perfect body. Yeah. So I think, you know, as many of us believe, we have this idea that like being thin is the thing that's going to bring us happiness. Right. And I think that's one of the lies of diet culture that all the best things happen on the other side of fat loss. We, you know, find the partner of our dreams, the job of our dreams. We, we feel so good every single day in our bodies. We're just so full of confidence. And so I spent a lot of time chasing that, like I got, I idealized body that I had in my mind. And then when I reached what would be considered that goal, quote unquote goal body, I was in the thinnest body I was in, had ever been in as an adult. I was the most physically fit and in like quote unquote in shape and strong as I had been as an adult. And yet still I was the most miserable I'd ever been actually. And so it's like when I thought that I'd reached this idea ideal body and I'd be so happy, it actually turned into like me always thinking there was something else that I needed to do in terms of my body. I just need to lose a couple more pounds or I need to change this part of my body or I need to fix this part of my body. And so really, I was just probably more miserable than I had been before. I had a worse relationship with food than I'd had before. I had a worse relationship with exercise than I'd had before. And so it was really this point of me realizing that, you know, all of the things I believed would be would be the source of happiness weren't the things that were going to make me happy at all. Yeah, yeah. And like, was there one particular moment that was kind of like a turning point for you where you were just like, I'm done with this? Like, was that one of those moments? Or was it a series of moments? Like, yeah, how did you find like the way out, I guess, is the question. Absolutely. I always talk, I talk about this in the book as my rock bottom moment. And that moment was, um, I was again, in the thinnest I'd ever been as an adult. And I had a, and even when I was like in that place, I was so obsessed with everything, like counting my macros, counting my calories, making sure I didn't miss workouts. Like that was my dominant thought process at all times and socializing or going on trips or anything like that would take me out of this place of complete control was like anxiety producing for me. Um, and I had this, I was married at the time and I had to go to like a weekend little family gathering with my in-laws and some extended family. And I was like, I had so much anxiety 
anxiety leading up to it because I was like, now I have a whole weekend, like three days where I'm going to be not at home and um, I'm not gonna be able to control everything I eat. And so what I did was I packed as like many of my meals as I could for the weekend. Um, and we had this day, we were at a water park with all of my extended family. And it's so ironic because I was at this water park, I'm wearing a swimsuit the whole time. I'm worried about like, do I look thin enough in my swimsuit? I'm like trying to suck in my stomach even more, even though I was already super thin. And people were like, I remember distinctly, like people, strangers, like complimenting me on my body and like asking me how I worked out. And so like, I'm getting this external validation, but at the same time, I'm like feeling miserable about how I look still. So we took a break for lunch and we go to this restaurant and I stay in the car and pull out my little sad Tupperware meal that had been like sitting in the cooler all day. And it was just like this sad little meal. And so everyone else proceeds to go inside the restaurant. And my partner's family was like, why isn't she coming inside? And he was like, oh, she just wants to eat healthy. So she brought her own food and um, they were supportive of my journey. So they asked the restaurant if I could bring my food in. And I did, but it didn't take me very long to eat this little meal. And so then I was just sitting at the table watching everybody order food whatever they felt like eating and the food's coming and it smells really good and people are like asking me or offering me like do you want some and I'm like no no I'm good I'm not I ate I'm not hungry but the whole time I'm just sitting there feeling like this is such a sad miserable existence that I can't even be present in this moment and just like have a meal with my family because I'm so obsessed about how many calories I'm eating. And I was like, and already I'm in a very thin body and I'm still not happy with it. And I realized like, I'm literally going to spend the rest of my life like this. And this is completely miserable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I relate so much to that. I remember like inputting the number of cherry tomatoes I'd eaten into a spreadsheet <laughs> And being yes. like, yeah, I feel I'm like, I'm gonna have to do this for the rest of my life. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, and but it still didn't wake me up in that moment. But I like it's yeah, you, you have these kind of epiphanies where you're like, wait a minute. This is this is a forever thing. If I want to, you know, maintain this like unattainable body, this body that I'm not meant to be in. And it's so wild. So <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like, yeah, I'm going to do this for the rest. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I am going to for the rest of my life input everything I'm eating into some type of tracker and make all of my life decisions based around what I can and cannot eat is like not a way that's not even really living when you when I think back to it. I'm like, I wasn't even truly experiencing life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, because it's like a full time job. And you're just you're not present at all. No, not at all. So um, obviously, like, I, uh, I, I'm massive piece of of the book and of of your work is is speaking to the intersection of racism the the influence of of white supremacy really how that's kind of like the overarching umbrella and diet culture is sort of a result of that and i'd love you to speak to just your own sort of like when you realize that, because I know in the book, you tell the story of like going to the supermarket and seeing the picture of Pamela Anderson and that really being like, you know, the standard of of beauty. And so I'd love for you to speak to like how you were able to come to a place where you're able to kind of like connect the dots to recognize that your pursuit of thinness was really to pursue whiteness, like to get a closer proximity to whiteness, not pursue it, but get closer mm -hmm. to it. Absolutely. So I think that after I decided like, okay, there's something I need to resolve here around body image. Um, it really set, set me down a personal journey of 
trying to like, you know, understand like the impact of diet culture, like what that actually really means. Like that wasn't a term when I was like really in diet culture. I wasn't even cognizant of the fact of like what diet culture is. And so just like down a journey of like trying to like really learn and understand. And I read Fearing the Black Body. Well, no, actually the first book I read is The Body Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor, which really helped me start to think about just like the impact of race on the way that we see our bodies um, and living in a society where you're Eurocentric standards of beauty are the norm, how that impact of race like affects our ability to feel good in our bodies. I think her work was the first that really helped me start to think in that way. And then I read Fearing the Black Body by Dr. Sabrina Strings. And uh, Dr. Sabrina Strings' work is really impactful and also like really gets to the core of the intersection of like diet culture, fat phobia, and racism. So she talks about historically how we even got to this place where body thin bodies are considered the ideal bodies. And I think if we think back in history, there's been times when living in a larger body was seen as a sign of prosperity and wealth and as a good thing. And then we come to this point in history and where we're like now demonizing larger and fat bodies. And so her work talks about the fact that, you know, this idea that being in a larger body the inception of that concept really goes back to slavery when you're trying to create this racial hierarchy of which bodies are valuable and worthy and deserving of respect. A lot of enslaved people were in larger bodies, more muscular bodies due to a lot of factors, one of them being like working in the fields. And so that's where this idea that I want to be, and it became associated with gluttony, laziness, um, lack of motivation, stupidity, all of these things. And so during that time period, like in the desire to say, I don't want to be anything like black bodies is where this idea of being in a thin body became the idea and also became associated with like moral virtue and spirituality even. And so that's where that inception of like diet culture and fat phobia and racism started. And then we just like have never really deviated from that. And so, you know, once I read that and like connected the dots, I'm like, oh, well, of course, like these are all tools of white supremacy and the tools of the patriarchy. And I think this is like, you know, so much of the work I do, whether it's around body image or just talking about like creating an anti-racist wellness industry is like one of the overarching themes is that white supremacy is harming all of us. Yes, it's harming some of us more than others, but a diet culture and body image are issues that we all deal with, but it is all stemming from the systems of oppression, white supremacy being the overarching system. Yeah. And so when you were able to like connect those dots, like did it sort of help you reflect on your own personal journey and be like, oh, like this is, this is why I was really, you know, engaging it like this. It was really like to get greater privilege, greater access, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the things I talk about in the book is that um, like the first school I went to when I was like in third grade, I was the only black kid in my class. There was only other two black kids in the school, my brother and my sister. And so I saw myself not, and I didn't see myself reflected in anyone who looked around, like anyone around me. And I was also 5'8 in the third grade. I was much bigger physically than the rest of the kids too. And so I realized in hindsight that my desire for a thinner body was really just my desire for proximity to privilege and proximity to whiteness in the sense that like it felt like uh like a standard of beauty, right? And so it's like I can't be all these other things, but the one thing I can be is I can be thin. Yeah, wow. Wow, that's so powerful. And so one of the other things you talk about is I'm just going to quote your book here, but you say it's easy to say that the patriarchy is responsible for our body image issues because that puts much of the blame on men, but it's often far more difficult to point white supremacy as the culprit because that doesn't absolve white women of their participation in the system. I'd love you to speak 
speak to that if you're if you're willing to. Of course. Yes, like patriarchy is a part of the problem, of course, but like white supremacy is the bigger issue. And I think so oftentimes when we think about even the concept of like white feminism, right? And like who when we're talking about dismantling systems, like the goal of dismantling any system is that we are freeing those of us who are most marginalized among us, right? And so when we think and speak to only body image issues as a tool of the patriarchy, like we can just solely place the blame on men. But when we talk about dismantling white supremacy, that also includes white women as well. And the work of dismantling white supremacy is in all aspects of our lives, not just in our bodies, right? It's, it it's, it, it um, bleeds into every area of our lives. I would say that white supremacy is the air we breathe. And so when we're talking about body image issues and we're talking about dismantling systems of oppression that is making it difficult for all of us live in our bodies, we have to be talking about all of our participation and the ways in which all of us are complicit within the system. Um, and one of the things I go into in the book is around the body positivity space, which, you know, originally the body positivity space was founded by fat black women because they didn't see themselves represented as beautiful within mainstream society. And then we look at modern day body positivity space, mainstream body positivity has really been co-opted in a lot of ways by thinner body white women has become a, like a very much focused on like embracing your cellulite and embracing your flaws. And that social justice aspect is mostly missing for the most part. Um, and, and again, it's in a lot of ways, like left out the people that the very people who started the movement for themselves. And so I think when I'm talking about why it's important for us to point to white supremacy as the arborarching is, issue is because there are many ways, even within the body positivity space, that white women have been complicit within the system. And I think it's important that we recognize those ways. And I always say body positivity is not about just like loving your body. It's about making sure that the most marginalized among us are able to exist free apart within their bodies. And we are all responsible for that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like, I think, you know, there's, there's like a multitude of factors why mainstream body positivity misses it. I feel like, like a piece of that obviously is like just people's own discomfort, like, or, you know, people's fragility, but also like the fact that it would likely repel people if they talked about it, like other white people and therefore like their brand and, you know, like their monetary gains would be sacrificed, right? Yeah. And I, I, talk, I speak to that in the book as well, because it's like, it's so easy to say, I'm going to be anti-racist or I'm going to dismantle white supremacy. But when we're talking about those things, practically speaking, we cannot dismantle something without sacrifice. Yeah. And if you're used to being in a position of privilege, equity sometimes feels like oppression when it's not. And so like, that's why it's like, it's easy to say you're going to do it, but when the more, when I always say like what when you come up with something that requires you to give something up, whether it's a financial opportunity, a monetary opportunity, whether it is like really speaking about these things in a way that may make people uncomfortable. It's like what we actually do in those moments is how we're actually dismantling white supremacy. It's not so much about reading the book and then just saying, cool, I'm being anti-racist. It's about how am I living it in practice? Um, and then the other part of that is like within the body positivity space, there's often like a hyper-focus on self-love. Like if you just love yourself more, 
that will fix things. And it's like, I talk in a lot of detail in the book about why I think self-love is really important. But at the same time, I'm also really clear that self-love does not absolve us from experiencing harm in the world. And so if we're only talking about self-love as the anecdote for body shame and body oppression, that does not protect from the real experiences we're going to have in the world. And moreover, it puts the onus on the individual, like, right, individually, you need to fix the problem with yourself, and then you'll be able to thrive in the society versus saying, no, there's these really harmful systems that we need to dismantle because they're preventing all of us from being able to thrive in the society. Yeah, totally. That's so well said. Do you feel like it's changing at all? Or do you feel like it's just kind of like when you think about mainstream body positivity, I guess, do you feel like that's changing at all? Or do you feel like it's just kind of stuck? I feel like it's a little stagnant right now. I think um, I think that we, over the past two years, especially like post-George Floyd, I think we started to have more conversations, but I still feel like it's a little stagnant right now. And I think, and why I feel that way is I think, again, a post-George Floyd era, like everyone in, in the wellness space in particular, I feel like was like awakened to racism in ways that we hadn't been, like it wasn't like people didn't actually know before, but I just think we weren't having those conversations before. And so we started having the conversations more. And I think there was like this renewed like energy around living an anti-racist life. But then as I just spoke to, it's like when you really want to live an anti-racist life, it requires so much more than us than just saying you want to do it. And I think we're kind of stagnant right now because the realities of dismantling systems is that it is really challenging. It does require a lot from us personally, some of us more than others. And I think that a lot of people like the idea of dismantling, but then practically what that means for your life personally and not necessarily interested in that part. Yeah. And you talk about, I mean, there's a lot of stories in the book about just people that you interacted with who, you know, in the wellness space who really wanted to engage with you, but then also like, it's like you know, they can talk the talk, but not walk the walk, so to speak. Exactly. And, yes. Um, and yeah. And so I, I suppose like that is also something that you must bump up against all the time as well. Yes, too much, unfortunately. Um, and I think, you know, um, yeah, it's just it's, it's basically what you said. It's easy to talk the talk. It's more difficult to walk the walk. But that is what's required when we're talking about actually like living an anti-racist life and dismantling systems. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about like just your definition of body liberation. I'd love you to explain the difference between body liberation versus like body neutrality or acceptance. How like, yeah, how would you how would you sort of define the difference between those two things? Uh, sure. I get this question a lot. So, and these are like the way that I frame it. I'm sure other people have their own definitions, but when I'm thinking about body positivity, it's really just, like I said, it's a movement that was created by fat black women, but modern day mainstream, I should say body positivity is really um, a space that focuses on loving and appreciating and respecting your body, regardless of shape, size, and knowing that we're all worthy and, and deserving of respect and like a simplest definition, right? And I think that body positivity can be a really great entry point for all of us into thinking about our bodies differently. And I know for sure, body positivity is a space that started me on this journey, right? So I think there's a lot of shortcomings within modern body positivity or mainstream body positivity. However, I do think it's like a great place for us to start. And then moving towards body neutrality, you know, I think one of the things I talk about with body positivity too is like a lot of the information that we get sometimes is very much like look in the mirror and say these positive affirmations and it's like, okay, but if you don't believe any of those things to be true, like looking in the mirror and saying those things aren't helpful for most of us, practically speaking. And so moving towards body liberation, body liberation, I mean, body, I'm sorry, neutrality is more of a space of like, listen, I 
I don't love my body. I don't necessarily love what I see in the mirror, but I can accept that this is what it looks like right now. And I can choose to be neutral about it. Meaning like, instead of saying disparaging comments about my body, I can just say, this is the body that I exist in today. Sometimes there's a focus on like, um, within body neutrality, sometimes there's a focus on like what my body can do versus what it looks like, which I think can be helpful for some, but it can also can fall into like this place of ableism as well. But really it's just like, how can I respect that this is what my body looks like today? And how can I be neutral about it? Right. Not even trying to say that I love it. I'm just saying this is the body existed. Then moving towards liberation, when I talk about body liberation, what I'm talking about um, is this real understanding that, number one, I guess the first thing I'll say about body liberation is that when I speak of body liberation, the goal is not that any of us will ever get to the point where we look in the mirror every day and love everything that we see about ourselves. I don't think that's realistic for any of us. So for me, body liberation is about understanding that at my essence and my core, the body that I'm residing in is truly just like a vessel that is allowing me to have this human experience, right? It doesn't make me who I am. It is just the vessel that is allowing me to have this experience that I'm having and that every single one of us are inherently worthy because we exist, not because what we look like. And it's also about this true understanding that, you know, understanding the systems that would have us at war with ourselves, but at the same time, learning to lean into joy and appreciation appreciation and the body that we have today with a true understanding that we all, you know, bodies are designed and created to change and that we will have, uh, you know, hundreds of different iterations of our bodies from the time we're born to the time we pass away. And so how can we learn to love and embrace every iteration of the body we have because we will have so many different iterations of them? Yeah, I love it. I love, I love how you talk about like, yeah, just like being, it's, it's about the essence of who you are and like that you are, I forget who you quote, but talking about it, just you being like magic, um, yeah, um, Stephanie Chen, she has this amazing quote that says our body is just the keeper of our magic. And if that's not like the most true thing that we can say about our body, and I always say like, this is the vessel that is allowing us to fulfill our soul's purpose, whatever that is for each every, every one of us. It's just the vessel that is allowing us to do that. Yeah, I love it. So beautiful. And for yourself on your own journey, like what would you say was one of the more important steps that you took to move you across that spectrum? I think for me, it was the realization that number one, I could spend the rest of my time and my energy in this lifetime focused on obsessing about my body. And I could literally do that for the rest of my life. But I would it would like be such a tragedy to spend like the best times of my life focusing on my body. I think that when I really realized that and I was like, I'm having these experiences, but I'm not really present because all I'm thinking about is what I look like and what are other people thinking about me. And I'm actually missing out on the experience of life. I'm missing out on the joy of life. And I think that when I realized that, that was the thing that was most impactful for me to say, I want to move towards a different experience because I am going to miss out on all the best parts of my life, focusing on my body, on this vessel, on this thing that I know is going to change anyways. And it's like, no matter how much I try to control it, it's going to change because it was designed to do that. And so instead of trying to spend all my energy, trying not to, to change it and to like try to, you know, stop the natural process of life, I want to learn to embrace it in all of its different variation iterations because that's what it was supposed to do. Like I can't stop the reality of what a body is going to do. Yeah, absolutely. And being in my forties, like I totally, like you just get to a point where you're like, yeah, no, there's no, (laughs) 
<laughs> you're aging like you're aging out of beauty standards like there's no choice so <laughs> you you have to like really make make a conscious decision to be okay with it <laughs> yes because it's going to happen and like you know i think it's so hard because we live in a society that does not value age as it once did but like what a beautiful thing to age like to still be here you know i hope if i'm here when i'm 80 still and i have wrinkles all over my face like what a beautiful thing to have spent 80 years having this human experience Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so one of the things you talk about is moving from personal liberation to collective liberation what does collective liberation look like like what can people do I know there's probably a lot. You can probably, that's yeah. probably a big answer, but yeah, what what would you say to that? Number one, I would say I talk about collective liberation because you know, very badly paraphrased um, Audre Lorde quote, or, or also um, Fannie Lou Hamer is like, "None of us are free unless all of us are free," and that is the true reality of liberation. Our freedom is found in one another, regardless of whether we recognize that or not. It truly is, and so I think I talk about collective liberation because that is what sets us all free, really. But I do think it's important to start with our own individual liberation and in, in the sense of like understanding how to set your own body to, to be on your own body liberation journey personally and then more move towards the collective and so when we're thinking about moving towards the collective I'm always talking about centering the most marginalized among us right so even myself as a black woman having a different experience I can recognize that if I was a black trans woman or black disabled woman my experience would be even different so it's like how am I when I'm thinking about what I'm going through and like you know how systems are oppressing me and then thinking it taking it a step further and saying well how is oppressing people with even more marginalized and intersecting identities than myself. And so the work doesn't stop with just my own freedom. The work stops with making sure everyone is free. And so how do we do that? I know when we think of oftentimes of like dismantling systems, it seems like such a big thing. Like how can I personally dismantle white supremacy? And actually none of us individually by ourselves can do that, but we can move towards that in first small and practical ways, which means is like having conversations with those around us is like a first marker of something that we can all do. And like, so we're thinking about body liberation. It's about how are we talking about our bodies around people around us, like with our, our partners, with our friends, with our um, family members, with our children, right? And how are we working to help the next generation not have as many uh, struggles as we are personally? And then, you know, we talked about earlier about this piece of like, how am I being complicit within the system? And so that talk that moves towards like, you know, what are what is the ways I can personally impact in the circles that I'm in and be, you know, especially for those of us who are more privileged, how can we leverage and I I hate to say leverage privilege because, you know, when we're thinking about dismantling white supremacy, the goal is that their privilege doesn't exist for any of us because we're all equal. But while we're working towards that, how do we leverage the personal privilege we have to speak up, to speak truth to power, to when we're in situations in which we can recognize inequities, how are we using our voice to to have impact in those situations? And so, yes, all you know, like there sometimes seems like these really big things, but it's really coming back to on a personal level. What do I have within my sphere of influence? My within my sphere of influence, how can I use and take the knowledge that I have, the information I have, the positionality I have in the world, and impact change, even in small ways, because those small ways add up. Yeah, totally. And you you talk about like, I think because a lot of people think, well, like inclusion, right? Like it's like, but you talk about how inclusion doesn't actually do the work of dismantling. Can you speak to that? 
Um, I think that inclusion became like really popular, right? I think that's one of the, I don't want to call it like a pitfall of 2020, but I think that after George Floyd, everyone's like, oh my gosh, we need to be more inclusive. And it's like, yes, no, but we really need to be more anti-racist, right? That That's really the thing. And I think inclusion sometimes can be a band-aid to dismantling systems because we stop at inclusion, right? Like, oh, we have all these different people in the room. We've done the work of inclusion. And it's like, no, that's not the work of inclusion. Uh, or inclusion is not the work. That is not the work of dismantling systems. Inclusion just means that we have a lot of people in the space and hopefully we're treating with them dignity and respect. But oftentimes people have used this word inclusion as like a metaphor for like, I've done the work now and there's nothing else to be done. And when you read the book, I go into a lot of examples of like inclusive organizations who are actually still very, that call themselves inclusive, right? That are actually in very much ways still harming people. And so I think that inclusion and like using that term as a signifier of like, I'm one of the good ones is harmful to actually dismantling because it stops the conversation there versus talking about like, oh, actually, like, how am I in action? How am I putting these things into practice and action in my life? life? And what does that look like? And so one example that's not even in the book because this happened after the book was published um, is I had a close friend who's a white woman and I thought we were close friends for quite some time but when we recently have not become friends anymore and it's because and this person was very much of like I'm inclusive I run inclusive events I have an inclusive conference I've done the work of anti-racism but we had a situation in which something happened and race was the underlying tone of it and I called her in meaning I tried to have a conversation with her one-on-one about how this situation actually caused harm to me. And like, this is someone I like traveled with, like I've stayed in their house. And so I'm like, this thing happened and this is how it was harmful to me. And instead of being able to like have the conversation with me, she blocked me and we've never spoke since. And this is someone who said I was like one of their best friends. And so I'm saying that inclusion can be the block, uh, you know, a blockage to actual liberation and actual dismantling is because when you feel like as a person, you have done the work to quote unquote be inclusive. And then someone says, actually, you've done this thing that's harmful. If you can't actually deal with the discomfort of having caused harm to someone and work towards, you know, repairing that and your, your uh, go-to response to be like, I don't still want to talk to you anymore. That, and unfortunately, that happens with people more than I care to say. And so I think that's why it's really being, it's really like negating the process of actually dismantling systems because it gives people this ability to say, no, I've, I'm a good, I'm a good white person. I haven't caused harm and I couldn't cause harm because I've read the books and I've done the courses and all those things. Yeah. It's more performative than. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm sorry that happened too. Well, I I loved your book so much and um, I hope everyone goes out and reads it. It's like, it's such a great read. Like I, like I just loved all your stories, loved the, the motive. I, I hate to say like, you're like a motivational speaker, but like you have a really <laughs> good way of like uplifting people. Like you make people feel good through, through your writing. And I really appreciated like all of the different prompts at the end of every chapter. And so um, I'll definitely be recommending it to everyone. But uh, congratulations on it. I think it's like, it's so well done. Um, Thank you. Where can, where can people find more of you? 
Absolutely. Well, first I was going to say, um, I just want to say thank you for all the kind words you said about my book. And also I do think one of my superpowers is being able to take things that are really, can be really uncomfortable and make it feel accessible to people. So I appreciate that you said that. But if you want to find more of my work, you can follow me um, on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. It's I am Chrissy King. My website is ChrissyKing.com. I also have a newsletter that goes out weekly that you can subscribe to. And the book, The Body Liberation Project is available anywhere books are sold. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chrissy. As always, it's such a pleasure having you on here. And it was great to see you again. Same. Thank you for having me back. It was a pleasure. Rock on. Such a great conversation with Chrissy there. I hope you go out and buy the Body Liberation Project. You can find all the links mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 265. Thank you so much for being here today. I will be back again soon. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Summer Inanin. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts, search Eat the Rules, and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on.